All right. So welcome to Midlife Mastery Podcast. This is Brock Edwards. And my guest today is Alexander Karouf. And how, how do you introduce yourself, Alex? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I, I used to be, uh, you know, f- for the last 17 years, I was all focused on happiness at work. I called myself the chief happiness officer and did speeches and workshops all around the world on how to create happier workplaces. Uh, and then last year, uh, I got really sick of that. And I was like, no, I hate it. I'm going to do something else. So I basically, you know, stopped doing that. Uh, some other people are running that company now. And I have time off. So I honestly don't know how to introduce myself right now because uh, that used to be such a big part of my identity. And now now it's not. Um, so so I, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, 52 years old. I live in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, I, I'm a passionate swing dancer. I just, you know, my COVID project is I took up the ukulele and I'm learning how to play that, which is amazing. Um, but, but there's not, you know, there used to be this, this one big chunk that was me and what I was all about. And now there isn't, and it's really weird. You know, that's, I think that hits on a a big part of this conversation that we're having on this podcast is there's so many changes that happen in midlife that, and they happen at different times for different people and they don't happen for everyone, but there is this kind of shifting of identity of what do I do? You know, kids, if we have kids are kind of mostly grown at this point. Uh, maybe we're under grandkids. Maybe we're not, maybe we're looking at retiring. Maybe we're never looking at retiring. Um, but there is a, I don't have to think about myself the way I've always thought about myself. So how do I think about mm. myself now if we choose yeah. to, and, and I think often we don't even recognize that we have this choice now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you've kind of forced that conversation with yourself because, <laughs> and, and I love paradox, you know, you, you got tired, you, you got frustrated with talking about being happy at work. So you, right. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, I kind of had to, right. Can you imagine somebody giving a speech on how to be happy at work who hates their job? It's just, it can't work. Not going to work. But I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and there is, you know, there, there, there is a lot of cultural baggage around this age, right? There's the, the midlife crisis, right? right. Uh, there's, you know, the, the, the kids flying the coop and leaving the nest and, you know, now you're the empty nest syndrome and all of that. I, I would also say that I, I, my, my sense is that this is a narrative that we sort of apply retroactively you know, mm-hmm. looking back and we see that and, and there's probably as much change or potential for change going on throughout your life, right? I mean, you could you could look at, you know, people, uh, you know, young people complete an education. Now you have to enter the job market and find a job. That's a huge change, right? Uh, you find a partner and you move in together. That's a huge change. You have kids or maybe you don't, right? But if you do, that's a huge change. So I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that potential for change and that, that opportunity for change is, is always present in life. And, but, but, you know, of course it's different things and that makes it worth being, uh, worth focusing on whatever age you are. Right. Uh, and, and there is definitely that going on. We do lose a, a trigger point for lack of a better word. Like, you know, when you, when you complete high school education, you know, you have a choice. Do you go to a career? Do you go into university? But, you know, it kind of happens at that within just a year or two of thinking about it. But, you know, midlife that I think about is spanning decades. And so there's not like this definitive, okay, now rethink your life kind of moment. Yeah. Um, even, even when you get married, there is a, you know, something happens, not just, oh, maybe I could rethink stuff. And yeah, for some people, it becomes midlife crisis, recapturing youth, um, freaking Fine out about- car. What that absolutely, absolutely, um, you know, I, I guess that's a forced rethinking <laughs> of yes. w- without thinking. Um, I, I always think of midlife crisis is you know there's not an exit strategy to it. it. It's just a I have time and money now and don't know what to do with myself or I want to recapturing. I always think of it as recapturing, and that may not be true, but you know, going back to an identity that I used to have or always wanted to have and never had the chance. Um, without really being productive about it. And I'm horribly, horribly stereotyping and overgeneralizing here, but um, you wanted to talk to Alex because as I look at you and, you know, most of this is through the lens of social media, (laughs) I know, but um, blog posts and such, you seem to have done it fairly intentionally in, Mm -hmm. you know, when when I look at, so a, a conversation I have with a lot of people is, 
I, I like advertising because I can use it to see how the world either thinks of me or thinks I should be thinking of myself. And when we get to, you know, like when I was in my early 20s, I was horrified what uh, Madison Avenue thought about me through light beer commercials. Like I was so <laughs> excited to get out of that demographic. Horrible, horrible things. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, now, now that it's midlife, it the marketing is just as bad, you know, you know, most of it is either, you know, kind of around the midlife crisis or around all the pharmaceuticals they think I should be asking my doctor about, yeah. um, or just, you know, waiting for me to go off into my corner and be quiet and be out of everyone's way. And, and I don't feel any of that about my life. And, and, you know, you strike me as a person who just hasn't stopped thinking about and redefining and is still very, very excited about your life. You know, you mentioned, Oh Yeah enthusiastic about swing dancing, taking up new hobby and ukulele, rethinking career. And, um, and even before you did that. So, I mean, I had followed your work for, for years and, you know, we had a chance to meet in person at a conference. You were sitting a few rows behind me. And I remember kind of one of the things that struck me is not like your work, but really for a guy who travels, you were in really great shape. <laughs> You know, that's what struck me because I've been a guy who travels and I know the struggles of just keeping any part of your life together while you're traveling so much for, for work. And so I, all this is a really long introduction to, to kind of, <laughs> kind of some questions around what's, what's been your approach to kind of staying fit and sane and healthy, um, yeah. it, Previously, you were traveling, and now you're kind of rethinking things. But um, yeah, yeah how, how did you go about doing that? So I had I had a, a an, an awakening uh, when I when I was approaching thirty uh, that stayed with me, and I think has guided me this whole time. Um, at, I, I had so I got my master's degree in computer science from the University of Southern Denmark. I got my first job. Uh, I got my second job, and I had the typical career mindset at the time, right? Uh, saying that, you know, I want to be a success in my job, in my career. I want to work really hard. I want to make myself invaluable to the company. I want to, you know, achieve career success. And I worked really hard at that. Um, I moved from uh, the south of Denmark, where I grew up, to Copenhagen, uh, which is, you know, huge city of one million people. Um, I, I didn't know anybody. So I had no friends, uh, no family there, didn't know anybody. Uh, got this new job. Um and, and worked really hard, long days, worked weekends, uh, came home every day, bought a pizza, ate that, watched television, fell asleep, repeat the next day, right? Did that for about a year. And then one day I just had this realization, this awakening, I am miserable. I hate my life. I have no friends. I have no hobbies. I was in terrible shape. I, was, I gained uh, 20 pounds after my university days. You know, this is not working for me. And at that point, I sort of sort of decided to, you know, do something about it and, and in some ways reinvent myself, uh, um, take up exercise, get in shape, uh, try to eat a little better, um, make friends, uh, have, an, have an actual social circle in the city where I live. And that has guided me ever since. So I think for me, it's, it's, it's never been about the traditional approach to success, the traditional approach to the good life in that it's about, you know, my status, my title, how much money I make, um, uh, what kind of car I own. I don't own a car. I've never, I've never owned a car. I hope I never will. Um, I get around Copenhagen on my bicycle, and I'm and there. That's the best way to get around the city. Um, so, so for me, it's it's actually been a continuation of that process all along. Um, and, and just valuing those things and making sure that, that, at, that at any point in my life, there's always time for the things that I enjoy. Um, time for, you know, I, I started out doing aerobics, then I switched to CrossFit 10 years ago um, because CrossFit is amazing. Um, yeah. You know, the, uh, you know, the people who get very passionate about CrossFit, you know, the joke about CrossFitters, their joke goes, how can you tell if a person's a CrossFitter? Don't worry. They'll tell you. <laughs> and I just told you. So there we go. Uh, I, we, uh, we took up my, my wife and I took up swing dancing uh, three and a half years ago. And that's just, it's the most amazing thing. It's so much fun. And we actually spend a lot of time on that. We, uh, you know, before COVID, we actually went dancing pretty much every single day, uh, classes and social dances and parties and all that. 
So that's, yeah, that's, that's been taken away from us too. And that kind of sucks. But what I'm trying to say here is that for me, it's always been about, you know, when do I have a good life? What do I actually enjoy doing? What makes me passionate instead of just having this job? Yeah, I could do it. I could have a good career. I could make good money doing this job. Um, and then I could retire in, in, you know, when I turn 70 and do what I want to do. And I was like, nope, I want to do what I want to do now. And I don't care what age you are. Uh, that's, that's the approach everybody should have to their life. Uh, because the other way sucks. Uh, I was so lucky that I, that I don't that I you know I woke up and and came and, and got out of that trap after just two years, but those two years were miserable. I was so freaking unhappy, um, and I wouldn't wish that wish that on anyone. So yeah, that that that's that's been my approach at any age. I don't really care, man. My approach to the age in general is to just com- is is complete denial. <laughs> well, you know it's. Uh... Funny, because when I I'd reached out to you to, to be a guest, I mean, your response was something to the effect of, you know, I don't know if I do midlife very well, or, you know, I have to do it right, because I don't do it like anyone else does it. And it's like, no, no, that's perfect. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that, that's what we want to learn from. Yeah, my, my way of dealing with it is not dealing with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I think there's something there in, especially when we think about identity, because it is, well, I think it's a great time to kind of reassess where we are in life. I mean, I think we should be doing that continually. There's also, we don't necessarily need to get it stuck in our identity. You know, I caught myself doing this kind of the, oh, I'm too old to do that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was something that, that I loved. And that, that kind of took me back. It's like, that was the first time I've ever kind of had that thought in my head. Like, you know, I'm not doing it because I'm too old, not for any of the normal, sane, rational reasons. I might not want to do something, but just, you know, a self-limiting belief, which I, mm-hmm. I hated once I realized it. So, um, you know, interesting. I, I mean, I guess I've got several thoughts in my head <laughs> right now, Alex. And, and one of them is even around friends, you mentioned that you, you kind of consciously made friends. And one of the things I find as I look around is, um, men in particular, but I think most people in, in midlife and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, Friendships have kind of come and gone. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we've got older friends from university or school days, may not be living in the same city, state, country, um, maybe at different life stages. Um, you know, people often, once they get married, they have friends as couples, but then couples split up, friends go, we change jobs, friends at work stayed with a previous job, they made sense in that context, but we fall out of touch. Um it feels painfully easy to be kind of this stage in life and look around and realize that there aren't a lot of close connections. Yeah. So, and, and you know, I, I, and, and there's no friendship seminars. Like, how do you make friends when you're 50? Uh, you know, we, we did it so well when we were five. Like I love my son's approach. Like if he met someone, he called them a friend. Like, yeah, this is my friend, you know, yeah. um, I, I met him that. 47 seconds ago at daycare and they're, they're lifelong buds. And, but, at this stage in life, I don't know, that, that seems harder, more daunting, maybe less opportunity, maybe because we, we've often gotten so set. I go to work, I come home, I do this as my routine, so I don't see anybody new. So, I, and I don't know if you have an answer for, for this, Alex, but, you know, what's like, been can, your approach to reaching out? Yeah, I can definitely see that, that, that trap and, you know, um, and I can definitely see it getting harder as you, as you get older. Uh, my approach to it has been to get out and do stuff, you know, get out and do stuff where, where other people do the same stuff, like swing dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have made, we have made really deep connections and, and great friends in swing dancing um, that we see at all the parties, but we also see outside of the, the, the dance events because, and, and I, I just want everybody, anybody who listens to this, if you're into dancing at all, even if you're not go swing dancing. Uh, once COVID is, is, is once we lick that and, and, and we can dance again, it is an amazing dance and the community is so great. And I've been swing dancing all over the world. Actually, I went swing dancing in Texas, in Austin uh, one time. And that was amazing too. So anyway, um, go out where you meet people, um, where you meet fun people who do cool things and then don't be co- afraid to connect with those people. And, and, and for, many, uh, for many kinds of activities like swing dancing, there'll be parties. And there will be meetups and there will be social events. Um, for CrossFit, there will be, you know, there, there in, in the Copenhagen CrossFit community, there are, you know, occasional parties that you can go and meet people or there will be like a Friday beer 
that you can meet people over. So get out, get out there and socialize and meet other people. And that that's definitely been my approach. And then I, I just want to mention one more thing that I think is really valuable. And that is create some fun traditions uh, where you get to bring people together. And again, not now, social distancing and masks and all that. But for instance, a tradition we created, um, and I think we did that eight years ago, is every Christmas we have, um, we have an, an uh, we call it a brunch, actually. It's, we invite people off for brunch and we have brunch and then we watch Love Actually. Have you seen Love Actually? I, I think I'm like the only person who hasn't. Okay, right, right. Do you like romantic comedies at all or? Yeah, they, they can be good. And I love Christmas movies and I know that is typically seen around Christmas. Yes, but, it's, I, it's, but I know nothing about it. It's really weird. Right. You have a you have a treat ahead of you. That movie is amazing. Um, of course, by now we know it by heart. We do. We hardly need to watch it. We know the whole movie. Anyway, we so we get people together and we can invite whoever, right? There are people who've been there pretty much every year for the last eight years. There are people we just invite once, you know, you should be a part of this crowd and we can get a huge group of people together again when there is no virus going around and, you know, have brunch. And we have a lot of those traditions, um, like board game nights or just dinners or uh, we're looking at we're talking to some friends now about uh, starting again once we can, starting like a, a monthly dinner, my, maybe like the first Friday every month getting together there and somebody cooks dinner and then you, you yeah. So traditions, I think, are a really good excuse to, again, to bring people together and form connections. And there is a, once you have that tradition going where people know what it's about, know what, you know, what it's about and what's happening and, and how it works, that actually creates really close con- close connections because you have that in common. It's not like a, a new event where you meet a hundred new people um, and you have to like, you have to shine and sort of impress any of these people. No, it's, it's, it's a tradition. It's nice. It's cozy. You can just come and be yourself. Um, and that's why I like about I like about creating these traditions that allow you to bring people together. Um, I'm sorry, I was just just thinking of times in my life when when I have had that versus times when I haven't. Just just that tra- uh, tra- tradition there. And I I know of a guy I don't know him, but he talks about doing practice Thanksgiving. So like four times a year, you know, they get together and just practice Thanksgiving dinner. You know, just I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, seems like a cool idea, especially as we're talking about it. And it strikes me that, you know, two of the things that you love to do, both CrossFit and swing dancing are very community-based events. Yes, absolutely. Um, you, you know, so I, I like to exercise, but it strikes me that, you know, I have equipment in my garage and, um, there's not a lot of people in my garage other than me and mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe my son, if he joins me. Um, and, and so just the importance of, Finding that community, right? you know, reaching out, c- connecting with, with people there. Um, yes, especially if you again, when you do it around an activity, these are the people. These are people who share a passion with you, right? Right. Um, and and that gives you an automatic in an automatic connection. Um, yeah. And 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 most you know most activities will have a good wholesome, uh, positive uh, community around it. Um, and 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 if you can tap into that, that that's instant community right there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm struck a little bit by just how obvious that sounds now that we're talking about it. You know, it, it seems like, you know, friendship in midlife is this big, huge, insurmountable problem. Where do I do it? And it's like, well, just go do stuff with people who do stuff that you like to do. Well, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. It works for me. <laughs> Um, well, I, switching gears a little bit. So, uh, cause your, your career is kind of fascinating in that, you know, you did spend, a, a after rebooting your career from, you know, computers to something totally different and helping people find happiness at work and, and recognizing that it goes beyond work. And what I mean by that is I know you had the, what, what was it? It's March something, quit your crappy job day. Yes. International quit your crappy do- job day. I think yes. you called it. Um, you know, that if you can't find happiness at work, go find work where you can find happiness. Yeah. So, you know, my wife has something that she calls the, you know, living the dream, or I, I refer to it as li- living the dream syndrome in that she has a dream job. So she works with horses mm-hmm. and that sounds amazing on the outside and on the inside, it often means, you know, slogging through manure on (laughs) frozen cold holidays when you'd rather not be, Um, you know, every dream job has its downsides. I have friends who are touring musicians and that being a rock star or even just 
being a professional musician sounds amazing until you go do it for a few days. And yeah, you know, there are some downsides to it. Um, yeah. So I, I guess, how did you advise or, or what advice did you have for people around this? You know, that yes, we should have jobs that we're passionate about that energize us. And yet not every day may be the best day of our life. You, you know? Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's, there, there is that misconception of the dream job, right? The perfect job. You know, I'm, I'm at travel writers, you know, people who get paid to fly somewhere and stay in a hotel and eat the food and they hated their jobs. Right. <laughs> because again, you, you never, you never have this, you're not on vacation. You're not on that, in that luxury hotel on your, on, on your holidays, you're actually there working and you have to take constant notes and try everything. And so, yeah, so there is no dream job. Uh, there are good jobs. There are definitely good jobs and bad jobs. Right. And, and that's what the international quit your crappy job day was about. Uh, that if you're stuck in a crappy job with a terrible boss and lousy coworkers and, and stuff you hate doing, you know, get out. If you, if you, if you possibly can, I realize that not everybody is in a position where they, where they can quit. You know, there might be financial necessities, uh, especially in the U S your healthcare might depend on you having this particular dream, your family's healthcare for that matter might depend on you having that job. But if you possibly can, and you hate your job, you know, get out and find something better. And then I think the, the, the flip side of that is also once you're in that job, that that's, that's, it's fine, but it could be better. What, what can you do to make that job better? And, and there are so many things that you can, you can uh, focus on and, and do to, to create better work days for yourself and maybe even for your coworkers. Uh, but it does, it does mean that you have to take it seriously and that's my problem right now is that a lot of people are like, yeah, work sucks. What can I do about it? It's the same everywhere. And it, it probably isn't. And, and um, so, so this focus that, you know, I, I deserve to be happy at work. I should actually have work that I enjoy. It's not going to be the dream job where every second is bliss, you know, because that job does not exist. Um, but maybe most days could be actually could be pretty awesome. And then there's there, there'd be the occasional crappy day or the occasional boring meeting. I mean, what job does not have that, right? But on the whole, you should definitely enjoy what you do. Um, and I think going back to what we're talking about, the, 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 the midlife thing, I think what happens for a lot of people is that they, they get stuck, right? Mm-hmm. They've already maybe, you know, been in, in, in this job, on this career for a long time, and they can sort of see retirement you know, uh, somewhere ahead of them. It's, it's not as far away as it used to be. Um, I met, I met a guy like that. Um, I was (laughs) there. So, so there's a Copenhagen square called Newtol and there's a public bathroom. Uh, you take there, there are some stairs that go down under this public square and there are public bathrooms there, uh, for everybody to use. So I went down there and there's actually a bathroom attendant that works there. So of course I, I talked to the guy, I, I talked to a lot of people. Um, and I, you know, what do you, why do you work here? Do you like your job down here in the toilet? And no, he didn't. He hated his job. He had actually been placed there against his will because he was—he used to be a guard at City Hall, and he was employed as a civil servant, uh, like a specific job type. That means that they can't fire him. Mm. And he has really—he has a really good salary. He has really good benefits, and and they're not allowed to fire him. But they want to get rid of him. So what do they do? They're like, no, your new job is not guarding the City Hall. Your new job is actually in the toilet under this square underground eight hours a day now go do it in the hopes that he would quit and i was like oh my god that's that sounds terrible that's so unfair that they're doing that to you and he's like yeah but i'm not gonna quit retirement is only five years away i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna stick it to the bastards and then i'm going to retire and i was i was that's five years of your life man do you, day in, day out, 40 hours, 37 and a half hours in Denmark, right? A week underground in a toilet, in a job you hate. And it's, and you're saying it's only five years. Um, that was, that was one of the most depressing things that I've ever heard. And I think it's, it's a fairly common attitude, right? And I think it's a terrible attitude. This, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to stick it out to retirement. Um, I think it's a terrible attitude if you hate your job. If you have a job you like, awesome, fine, stick with it for God's sake. Um, but if you hate your job, don't. Uh, there, there are better jobs out there. I, I know, the, you know, on top of that, uh, <clears throat> there, there is a hiring bias in many companies against uh, older employees, um, which is a terrible thing. Um, and, and so it, it can definitely be hard to find a new job, but don't, for God's sake, don't just give up. 
and don't just sit there because retirement is only five years away or six years away. Those are you no; know, those are six great years of your life that you should you should be enjoying. And that's going to be really hard if you hate your job. I don't know if you've seen that in you know in your work at all or. Absolutely. In fact, two two stories came to mind. One is um, I, I have a relative who had that. He had like a countdown timer. Have you have you seen? Oh, I'm sorry. Have you seen a, a movie called About Schmidt with Jack Nicholson? Oh, maybe years ago. I don't remember it. Okay, so uh, the countdown. So so the movie opens with you see Jack Nicholson. He's sitting in an office chair in some nondescript office somewhere, and he's just looking at the clock, and it's just tick 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 tick, and then you know it strikes five o'clock. And he gets up and he goes out and he's now retired. There's a retirement celebration. And then the movie goes on. He buys an RV and he, then he goes to see America. Uh, that was basically him. That was, sorry, that was the countdown time I thought. Of. It's, a, it's a great movie about Schmidt. Jack Nicholson, watch it. Sorry, you were saying. Well, no, Jack, had a countdown timer. Yeah, just just that, like five years out. And, you know, retirement was coming. Five, and That's insane. Come, five years. And uh, I also met someone once at the early end of their career. And I'd asked them how long they'd been in this job, and it was a government job. And they told me something like, you know, 17 and a half months. And I was like, wow, that's a weirdly specific number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so are, are you enjoying it? And they're like, no, I, I hate it. It's horrible. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, well, why do you stay? Well, if I can make it two years, I'm, I'm likely to get on full time. Yeah. In a job you hate. <laughs> in, in, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's every, not a reward it's, it's not. And, and yet you, you, I mean, and that was someone early career. So that's even more horrifying. Just, you know, five years is different than the next 40, but, um, but I think a lot of people are stuck in that, in the, in those kinds of traps, you know, there are, there are young people at tech companies waiting for their stock to vest mm. and they can't leave before it does that. Or, you know, again, if, if, at, at this time you'll get a full-time position or at this time you might get a promotion. So there's, there's constantly this, this next, milestone this next uh, uh, uh goal dangling in front of you and that's a really easy trap to fall into um but but again there's 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 no such thing in life as only five years there really really isn't that is a long long time that you should be enjoying and not spending in a job you hate if if you at all if if that's at all open to you as a possibility well, and, and you had mentioned some of the traps. So, you know, kind of in this life stage, yes, you you probably have or things that easily trap people, you know, sizable mortgage, car payments, uh-huh. kids, kids in college, um, a feeling like you can't move because, you know, there's a bias against older workers um, feeling maybe irrelevant. Like if I can just stay in this job and no one notices me, I can ride it out versus um, having to learn new skills or suddenly you know, it's, I don't know, kind of a golden handcuff sort of thing. Like we, we've spent a lifetime getting ourselves into a position that's harder to get out of than when you were 20 and could just, you know, your job didn't pay that much, but you didn't own that much. So you could just quit and go somewhere. There's a, I think there's a huge, like a, a sunk cost thinking going on, right? I spent, mm. I, I've spent so much energy and time on this. Yeah. I've invested so much of myself, you know, all of the late nights and all the weekends that I worked, you know, if I quit now, all of that will be wasted. Um, and, 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 and yeah, but if, uh, but if you don't quit, right, you're just throwing good time after bad, yeah. um, which is, 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 is not a good idea either. So yeah, it, it is easy to get stuck. Um, especially if, you know, if you're successful, if you're actually, you know, making, even if you're making good money and, you know, that makes it even harder to, to get out of there, which reminds me of, of another, th- uh, life choice that, that we made, um, which is to, to live fairly cheaply, mm. right? So again, don't have a car, don't have a huge house uh, in the fancy areas north of Copenhagen. We have a really cool apartment in Copenhagen uh, where we enjoy living way more. Um, we have essentially no debt and hardly ever had it. Uh, I had a little bit of student debt that I paid off fairly quickly. Um, and those are all conscious decisions. We could have lived a more traditional lifestyle, right? And, and you know, borrowed money, you know, had a huge mortgage, um, fancy car, and, and, and huge monthly payments on, on all of that. <clears throat> um, but, but uh, you know, not having all of that gives us freedom to do, you know, whatever, whatever we want. Uh, that's also why I could stop my previous job, you know, and stop speaking all over the world because 
I don't need to be being to be bringing home a huge paycheck every month mm. in order to to not uh, you know in order to not go bankrupt. Um, and and that level of freedom is is worth way more than you know you know any Ferrari in my opinion. <laughs> Well, it is a different way of thinking about it. I mean, it's a, a much more intentional way of deciding, you know, what, what is important to you and how is it going to play out? And, you know, a friend of mine went, went shared that, you know, you shouldn't make decisions that limit your options. Yeah. And, and so he was following that train of thought out. It's very similar to what you were saying. Like, if you have a big mortgage, that's going to limit options. Um, now, if, if it's worth a trade-off to you, awesome. But recognizing that there is a trade-off there that approaching life differently, leaving more options open, makes it very easy to pivot. And, you know, I think that's where a lot of people got stuck um, during our last economic downturn here in the States. Just, you know, they had big house, they had car payments. They couldn't just quickly pick up and move to a different job, different location, reform their life. They kind of had to just <laughs> gut it out for, for a lot of people. Um, but there is so much power into choosing to live simply. And the older I get, the more yeah. I appreciate that. And the more I'm, I've been realigning my life kind of towards that. Like, how do I create more options for myself? Well, one yeah. way, exactly. Less, less debt, you know? Exactly. Um, I think that's, that freedom is, uh, and in, uh, we have a saying in Danish that freedom is the best gold. <laughs> mm. Like freedom is the ultimate, I don't know, like that, that, uh. And that, that is, again, that is what might allow you to just, you know, if, if your boss is a complete jerk to go in and say, you know what, screw this, I quit, I'm out of here um, and you can't treat me this way. And if, and, but on the other hand, if you have to make that huge mortgage payment uh, every month or else be homeless, right? Uh, and the boss is a jerk, you're, you're going to have to take whatever he dishes out and you don't have the freedom to do anything about it. So, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask, um, Goal setting and life planning. <laughs> <laughs> so on one hand, um, I mean, your life has made several right turns, as you've described it, you know, changing careers a couple of times. Um, on the other hand, it also feels like you, you're very intentional about several of the things in, in your life. So I, I'm curious, do you do goal setting, life planning, or kind of how have you approached that? As you may have uh, guessed from a little chuckle earlier, I I do not, um, I I I don't believe, and I'm not saying it's a bad practice. I'm just saying I don't I don't do it right. I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't or anybody else shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't. Um, so so this whole idea that I could say that in five years I want to be here, I want to have this type of job, I want to make this kind of money, I want to have achieved this and this and that, it would never ever work for me. Um, I, I, I would say that my approach to this kind of thing is probably more, more intuitive in, in the companies I had, uh, I've never, I've never had a business plan. I've never had a strategy. I've never had like, we have had budgets, but they were just like, uh, just, just to make sure we didn't go bankrupt and spend this to spend by spending too much money. Right. Um, so no, I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe in it. I read a book, um, I met a guy in, at a conference in the U.S. called Stephen Shapiro, a great guy, great friend of mine now. And he had written a book called Goal, Goal-Free Living. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, he, actually, when I met him the first time at this conference, he was writing it. And he was describing this book that he wanted to write. And I was like, that's how I live my life. That's amazing. Somebody put a name to it, Goal, Goal-Free Living. And, and I, I, I really liked it. I, I like the concept. And that's how I've, you know. I've been living my life. There's, there's, you know, uh, the, at the back of my mind, there all, there's always a voice. Like, could I have achieved more, uh, if I'd had a plan, right. If I'd been more structured, if I'd had a, st a strategy and a, you know, like a life plan, um, and maybe I could have, but at least, uh, I think more than anything else, I have the satisfaction of knowing that whatever I achieved, I did it my way. Um, which I think is, is pretty awesome. Isn't there a song about that? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so this idea, uh, and, 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 and people love goals, but there's actually the, the, the research on whether or not goals work is very, is very in, in, inconclusive. Uh, it, it might, there is, there's very poor evidence that having a clear, like, you know, smart goals that are specific and measurable and actionable and realistic and, and what's the T and it's a time constrained. 
Yep. Like they don't necessarily promote better performance. They don't necessarily help you get where you're going. Uh, what what goals very often do is that they create sub-optimization that instead of doing the right thing in that situation, you'll you'll do the thing that that advances you towards your goal, but maybe the goal is is no longer, you know, the uh, the, the the best way to go for you. So no, I don't I don't like do you? Do you have like a life plan? Like here's where I want to be five years from now or you know, I've uh, the the older I get, the more I experiment with this. the The less helpful I find them. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea, and so you know, having kind of this this north star to point my life toward. What I've been finding is that the people who seem to do it best are it's it's more values based. And I don't mean values as morality. I mean these are the things that are important in my life. So, you know, being healthy, being fit, having freedom, having (laughs) options, those sorts of things and living their life around that um, versus this is where I want to be in my career. This is what I want to be driving. This is, you know, I'm going to have 2.3 kids or whatever the average now is in the U S. And and so I, I, I go round and round with it because on one hand, I feel like I don't want to be adrift. Like (laughs) I want to be able to point my life in a direction uh, because it would be easy for me to to not um, mm. or to point myself in a, in a direction that's not helpful. And this, I think, is where we get back to talking about this kind of rethinking our life stage and being intentional about kind of who we are and where we are and where we're going um, more so than any any number. Because one of the things I find with goals is they don't work as well for me because I know they're arbitrary. Like yeah. I know I made this up for myself and I know how I got to that number. And I know the consequences of not getting there. And so I don't find them as motivating. And I'm having more and more conversations with, with, with people like you who are like, it, it's not helpful. Like, yeah. it, it's almost limiting to have the goal because all of the great stuff that comes up in life was never predicted by a goal. Yeah. And, you know, in, in conversation I was having a few weeks ago with, with a, a musician friend, you know, kind of the same thing, great opportunities, couldn't have predicted a one of them. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. When I, when I look at my life, the most amazing things happened almost on a whim or came out of the blue. Yeah. Um, you know, someone called me up with an opportunity that I wasn't seeking, wasn't expecting. And if I'd been so focused on something else, I may not have been able to, to take advantage of it or, and I've had, you know, I, like I've had the worst career to follow. Like if you want to say, here's how you make a straight line career. Um, now I've had a great career, but it's yeah. been, it looks random from the outside. <laughs> it, yeah. It's a long conversation to explain how all the points connect. There's a, there's a beautiful uh, recording of Alan Watts, the British philosopher talking about this. Do you know of him at all? I, I know about, yeah. He's the one who right. said that the map is not the territory. Yes. And so he talks about, yeah, you know, that, uh, that, that this attitude of, of having a goal gets in, you know, uh, indoctrinated in us from a young age. You're like, you go into the school system and they're like, here, kitty, kitty. And then, you know, you go to the next grade and the next grade, and then you graduate from school. And then you go into high school and then you're here, kitty, kitty. And then you get a job. Right. Um, and then he talks about music and he says that in a, in a, you know, in a, in a classical piece of music, the end of the composition is not the point of the comp- uh, composition. Mm. If it was, they would reward the composers who could make the orchestra play the fastest, or they'd write pieces that were just like one big ending. You know, the right. point is the, the the journey is the point, right? It's 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 the notes along the way. It's the silences between the notes. It's not checking off like one life goal after the other. Um, it 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 it's not where you get. Well, it is where you get, but it's it's really, really also how you get there. And if you think you can plan, you know the old uh, if you wanna if you wanna make God laugh, tell him your plans. Right. Right. We we think we 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 like the idea of control. We like the idea that we I can say, then I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do this, and then something like COVID happens. Where are your goals now, dude? Uh, or you know, or even better opportunities come along, and and you abandon your goals or you know conversely you could stick to your goals and you could achieve them by being a real jerk uh and and being mean to other people that would be awful right or you could be so focused on your goal that you goals that you lose out on better opportunities and that would be bad as well 
So I don't, I don't believe in them. I think they're in, in, for me. I don't believe in them for me. And I think they, they would be incredibly, uh, you know, uh, constricting for me. Yeah. And, you know, as we're thinking about, like, on my wall next to me here, I, I have a cork board with, oh, you might call them goals or intentions or directions, thoughts. Um, and I like that because it, it's flexible. It's index cards. <laughs> I can move them. I can change them. Yeah. You know, it's something to keep in kind of top of my mind. Um, and, but the, you know, it's funny, the goals that I have accomplished have not been because I sat down at the start of the year and wrote them down. It's like, I got in the mood at that moment, at that time, said, here's where I'm going and, and went there, not from a lot of soul searching and planning. Um, and so it is interesting to me, kind of this balance between making sure I, you know, the journey is going in the direction I, that I want while still being open to knowing that I may not know where this journey goes. Yeah. And, and then, and then asking yourself, am I actually enjoying this journey? Yeah. Right. I'm actually having fun along the way, or is there, is there a better way to do it that I would actually enjoy? Or is this just not the way, the direction I should be going in? Maybe there's something else I should be trying to achieve instead. Uh, Steve Shapiro, who wrote the, the, um, the goal free living book talks about having aspirations uh, like sort of a general direction. I want to sort of go in this direction instead of goals. And I like, I like that a lot. Yeah. So when, you, when you're thinking about your next stage, I mean, you've had, you know, well, almost a year of shutdown to mm -hmm. <laughs> think yeah. about kind of that yeah. next stage yeah. um, without the pressure of any finish line. It's not like you can suddenly start traveling or doing <laughs> nope. all of these things. Um, what do you see as being next for you? Do you have any, any thoughts or are you just kind of waiting for it to develop? I, again, my, my, my approach to this has been, uh, very, again, very intuitive and very non, um, like, uh, unplanned. So I've, I've had, I didn't have, I haven't sat down and made lists. Uh, I've sort of been waiting for inspiration to strike me and it finally has, nice. uh, but, but this is not, I'm not saying that this is the next project for me. I'm just saying, this is, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to try this because I think it's a fun idea. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to make a series of videos, um, <laughs> about, uh, why people hate their jobs. So a little bit of the same thing, but but here's the thing: um, there is there's sort of a huge backlash right now against work. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you notice this, but especially a lot of young people in the U.S. are incredibly disillusioned about work. You know, they come into the market, to the the job market with huge student debt. Uh, you know, they they apply for all these jobs that all require like ten years of experience. Um, I saw this hilarious ad for a. Uh, an IT job that required 10 years of experience in an IT technology that had only been out for five years. <laughs> uh, you yes. know, they, they, they get into these, uh, these uh, workplaces and it's just a grind, right? They're underpaid, they're overworked, they're being treated like serfs. Uh, um, I'm not saying that's, that's the reality for everybody, but there is sort of a huge backlash. And, and I'm, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a series of videos, uh, like long-form video essays, acknowledging that for a lot of people, this is the reality. There are some pressures in, in, the, in workplaces right now that are, that, that are creating some huge problems, inc including bad management, overwork, um, stuff like, uh, you know, just uh, incredibly uh, unfair salaries, for instance. Uh, a lot of people are being underpaid or paid unfairly. Uh, the, the gender wage gap is real and we need to do something about that. So, so I want to create some videos that acknowledge that, that acknowledge that all these uh, problems exist, but then just don't deteriorate into complete pessimism and cynicism and say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Work sucks. The problem I think is that, I don't know about you, Brock, but I think, I think work is here to stay. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen any good alternatives yet. Um, right. <laughs> Even if, even if the, you know, even if the workers revolution comes uh, tomorrow and we're, uh, and we're waking up in a, tomorrow in a communist utopia, there's still going to be work, right? right? There's still going to be hospitals and dentists and schools and street cleaners and IT companies. And, and, you know, we're, work is, work is a basic fact of human life. In fact, if you do it right, it can be a lot of fun. So work is not going anywhere. So, so I refuse to give up. There, there, are, there are definitely all of these pressures on modern workplaces that can cause them to be awful, awful workplaces. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not ready to throw in the towel. I want to I look at, so how do we do it? How do we, how do, we do it at a societal level? 
What are some good government policies that that promote uh, better work? How do we do it in our workplace? And, and what can I do as an individual, including just throwing in the towel and saying, you know what, I quit. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I can't, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm gonna go find better work. So I'm curious how much is, I mean, because the other side of that is also uh, workers' expectations. And I think of my, my parents, the, you know, the boomer generation, as really probably being the first generation where the idea that work could be fulfilling was out there versus a way of, you know, just sustaining life. Mm-hmm. Um, not that people didn't have fulfilling jobs before that, but that became more of a, you know, kind of do what you love mantra that went through my generation as I see the in the in my kids' generation seems to become stronger each generation to almost, you know, in my my nephew a few years ago I saw it was it was almost like I can't take a job unless it is a fulfilling dream job. Like anything less than that would be, you know, going against everything I've been taught. Completely missing that, yes, some of your jobs are probably going to suck until you figure out what it is that you want. Like you can't just invent that in your living room without some experience. Um, What can can we do to, what do we need to do to reset expectations? Like jobs should be fulfilling, but I guess I'm struggling with the question I, I, here, Alex. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't quite see it that way. I don't think people, I don't think a lot of people have these completely unrealistic expectations. I think Good. a lot of, you know, everybody would, everybody realizes that not every workday is going to be a good one. Good. But I think the, the, the new thing is that we have a lot of young people, especially with who have the, the, uh, the expectation that most work days should be good work days. And, yeah. and on top of that, the, workplace they work for should actually be doing something that makes the world better. Hmm. And that was probably missing from the boomer generation. Uh, a job okay. was a job. And even if you worked in an, you know, in an oil company that, uh, you know, pollutes the world and uh, emits, you know, greenhouse gases, uh, it's a job. And as long as, you know, you're making good money and you're being treated fairly, that's enough. And I don't think for a lot of young people today, I think, I don't think that that's going to cut it, which I think, which I think is amazing. Right. Um, so what I want to, I want, I don't want to, I don't want to tamp down their expectations at all. I, I just want to figure out. So yeah, there is great fulfilling work out there. How do we create more of it? And how can you find some that'll work for you? Uh, what is that going to look like? And, and fortunately, there's a ton of research on that. There are companies doing it already. Uh, I was just reading, you know, one of the, the, the first video I'm going to make is on working, work, work times, work hours. Um, and, and one of the huge problems right now is, is just this epidemic of overwork uh, that a lot of workplaces are like, if you want to make it here, you got to, you know, you got to put in the hours. Uh, it's more prevalent in some industries than others, more prevalent in some countries than others, but it's definitely out there. Um, so I came across this, this company uh, that actually, uh, as a response to the economic crisis, introduced a six-hour workday. So instead of having huge layoffs, there was a huge organization. Instead of having huge layoffs, they went from an eight-hour workday to a six-hour workday. So their workers would work in you know four six-hour shifts instead of three eight-hour shifts. So they didn't have to lay any anybody off. Um, and 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 their workers had they they would take a corresponding pay cut so the company could actually afford it. Uh, now that that uh, revenues were lower, and and then the workers would have lower working hours and more free time. This amazing, creative, innovative experiment was done by Kellogg's in 1930. 1930 as a response to the depression. Um, so, so this is not, you know, this might sound radical. These ideas might sound, might sound weird, but it's been around forever. Um, yeah, and, and, and if we can do more of that, um, and, and I, think, I think this takes acknowledging these pressures and these problems that are definitely out there. Instead of just saying, you know, um, I was just saying, you know, uh, here's 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 the positive side, which is there. I think we also need to acknowledge the problems and say, how do we address them? And there are there are companies that have done that successfully for decades now, and and maybe we can learn from them. And countries that have done this successfully, I think Denmark is a great example. Um, and there there are there are so many great governmental policies in Denmark that help promote better workplaces. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying Denmark is perfect in any way at all, but there are definitely some things that, that work here at the governmental level. Uh, for instance, just, uh, uh, you know, protections on working hours. You can't mm-hmm. overwork people here. 
protections on uh, one of my favorite things in Denmark is um, if you have a workplace with over, I think it's over 35 employees, uh, the employees get a seat on the board, hmm. on the board of directors of the company, like, like with full rights, the same rights as everybody else on the board of directors. Um, these employees are voted on by their uh, coworkers and they get to sit on the board and they have voting power and, and decision power over the company at the same level as all the other board members. I think that's amazing. That, because then the, you know the, the the employees actually get a say in how the companies run and and in the long term strategic decisions. Yeah, that's a that's a subtle yet very powerful. Um, oh yeah, tool for that. Yeah, yeah. Then the, and they get insight into what's going on. It's not like a big black box with strategic decisions coming out. Right. They're they're actually there at the table. I think that's that's one thing. Amazing. There are a million things we can do, and I think we need to do them because, like I said, work is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> nice. Well, and I actually, in, in this conversation, you helped clarify my question, which I, I now understand my own question a little better, but, you know, marrying that expectations um, with the skills to do it. I, Cause I think that's a part of where people get dissolution. They come in with high expectations, but then don't know where to go with it. Don't know how to find their place in it. Um, don't know what's right and what they should be pushing back on. So uh, so I love that idea of, of getting kind of some of those skills and thoughts and approaches yes. out there. Um, well, I, you know, I, this is probably a good place for us to, to wrap up here, Alex. <laughs> and uh, otherwise I could talk about, you know, all this for a long, long time. But There's been um, such a great conversation. These are, these are great topics. Uh, oh, yeah. Just like, do, do you watch uh, 30 Rock at all? Yeah. 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 So there's, there's a, there's a Jack Donaghy. Of, um, what's the actor's name? Uh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, yeah, yeah, he's is uh, he's turning fifty, and then he says to Liz Lemon, uh, "Don't worry, fifty is the new forty for men." <laughs> so yeah, this is like I, I'm not even quite sure how to wrap up this conversation because we've covered like so much ground, and this started with just you know, Alex, how do you approach life, and now we get into kind of rethinking how we approach work and all of that. So, um, what's a good note for us to end on here, Alex? It's just that I, you know, at at any age, uh, you know, be happy, right? lead a good life. Uh, it's, it's, it's never too early. It's never too late. Um, at, at any moment in life, you can, you can, if, if something's not working for you, you can make a change and you should make a change. You should not accept, you know, a bad relationship, a bad job, uh, a bad life situation. If, if there's something you can do to make your life better or make the, the, the your life, make life better for the people around you, you should do it. Um, don't, don't get stuck. And there is definitely uh, it is definitely easier to get stuck as you get older because you're more set in your ways and you're more invested in the things you already have. There's more of that sunk cost fallacy. Um, don't fall for that trap. You know, at, at any point you could, you could make that 180 degree U-turn and, 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 and steer your life in a much better direction. I think that's a perfect ending point. Thank you so much, Alex. My absolute pleasure.